Hi everyone, welcome to episode 7 of The Linsider. Today I am very happy to have Arun Singh with me. I've known Arun for a few years now. He recently moved over to Skybound Entertainment, a company that I really love and admire. So I'm really happy to sit down and speak to Arun from his perspective as a seasoned veteran of the comic book industry. He's been in the industry for over 20 years now, and he's been at a number of different companies, including Marvel, Boom Studios, Sci-Fi, and now Skybound Entertainment. And I, he's also has an interesting perspective as someone who grew up Indian-Canadian and then moved to the States, lived in Utah, and then now is in LA. So I'm really looking forward to having you listen to this. Before we get to that, maybe you've noticed that I've switched the publishing date for new episodes to Thursday. I'm testing this out. Um, new to the podcast game, so seeing how this is going. If you like the podcast, please let me know. Rate, review the episode on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please follow The Linsider on social media. I have social media presence on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on Twitter. And feel free to message me or email me. The email is thelinsidershow at gmail.com. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Arun Singh. Please enjoy. Arun, welcome to The Linsider. This is episode seven. I'm so glad to have you here. On the podcast, I discuss entertainment from a cross-cultural and interdisciplinary perspective. That's my way of saying it. Hollywood and entertainment industry in general needs to think much more differently about how we do things going forward. I want to have a voice for perspectives that I don't hear enough about. My original thought was just to hit record and just talk with my friends. So thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. As you know from talking to me, I can talk. Yes, the nuggets of wisdom throughout and or experience. It's so simple because the experiences that we have, they need to be normalized, whether that's personal life or as folks that are behind the scenes in the industry, to talk about those details and also mm -hmm. the breadth of what you do. I think this is very important, or at least I think a lot of people would dig hearing this. To start, just so folks can get to know you a little bit, can you just give a brief introduction about yourself? Yeah, yeah, brief maybe. I don't know, but I can say things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my name is my name's Runtin, as, uh, as, uh, as uh, Jason said, and I am the director of Brain for the editorial group at Skyman Entertainment. So that editorial, in this case, means comics and books. Skyman is home to properties, you know, like The Walking Dead, uh, Invincible, which just launched on Amazon Prime, and a whole host of other really cool comics and properties. But Mike, Mike, I have now worked in comics for about 20 years. I'm 39, turning 40 this year. Started as a reporter for IGN, or columnist for IGN, was the, uh, I think, first staff writer for Comic Resources, which is a big comics website. Then joined Marvel after... I was pre-med in college, so I think I took a wrong turn somewhere, but 
I ended up as a, a in communications at Marvel and over and led PR there through the launch of Marvel Television, and then left in 2015. Went to Sci-Fi as their VP of Publicity, West Coast. There was a reorg. You know, I was the last one in, first one out. Say, Lavia, I have no hard feelings with anybody there, truly. And then went to Boom Studios, you know, a newer comic book company you might have heard because of their collaboration with Keanu Reeves. It's definitely the big thing in their history. But I worked there for about just over four years. And then in January of 2021, joined, uh, joined Skybound. And it's been, it's been a blast. And I've been lucky enough to know co-founder Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead for almost 20 years based on that career. And he's, he's, he's great to work with him in this capacity. And it's been a great group of people here. Awesome. That's amazing. And a little bit of a personal context. Where did you grow up? And are you from LA originally? No. So I'm from Toronto originally. I was born in the oh, suburbs right. of Toronto. And so I grew up there and I, I was there, finished high school in, in, in Ontario. I was thinking I was one of the last classes who had a mandatory grade 13. And I'll be honest, I think my grade 13 year, the only classes I had were English, weightlifting, maybe a math class, but most of my days were just spares. It was wonderful. I never had homework to take home because all I did was work in like cafeteria. But it sounds pretty awesome for just- it, it was actually a really good way to spend grade 13. You know, there's uh, and then I moved to Minnesota, went to business school for literally a day and dropped out right before college. I said, I never wanted to be in business. And my parents were oddly supportive and especially for Asian American parents. And then we, I moved, we all moved to Utah a few years later, lived in Utah for a few years, then got that job at Marvel. I was studying uh, pre-med, like I said, in, in college at Weber State University. And then I went over to LA, uh, LA, sorry, New York for about six and a half years and then moved to LA about eight years ago. So LA is now the second longest I've lived in the place maybe closest to home other than Toronto. But yeah, I've been a, been a bit all over. I, I have a feeling um, I'll end up moving again at some point in my life just because that's my nature, but my wife kind of love it here, so I can't complain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love it here, LA, but you know, I think it's important to see the world, so. Yeah. And traveling. That's cool. I really like your perspective in the whole comic book world. 20 years, that is very deep, and you've seen quite a bit of a evolution in the business. What would you say is, you know, that 20 years, it feels like night and day, they would be the biggest changes that you observed in the industry. I'm not the only person of color in the room anymore. (laughs) For the most part, part, definitely some situations where I am, but I might be the most senior, but not the only one. I honestly, I think the difference is when I talked about comics 20 years ago, people looked at me and said, oh, kid stuff you're a dork now people just look at me and say oh i know what that is you're still a dork <laughs> but like it's uh people like Slight change my parents know what Groot is and what a rocket raccoon is like that's that's mm. blows my mind you know like these these esoteric guardians of the galaxy characters who i cannot imagine my you know 67 year old parents knowing who those are they know everybody's parents kind of know who they are they, they know this stuff um because marvel especially has become ubiquitous with uh and synonymous with pop culture and you know people understand graphic novels are and comics are taken are seen as a form of art they're not they're not just seen as biff bam pal like adam west batman stuff and 
I think there's there's two reasons for that. One is manga. Japanese, you know, Japanese comics manga came and had a huge moment in 2001. I was also working part-time at a comic store in Minnesota, and I remember when these hit. And, you know, our comic consumers then were, and it's Minnesota, so take this with a grain of salt, were mostly middle-aged white dudes. And then suddenly there were women coming in the store. And, and I'm not saying they're like, oh my God, girls, they like comics. I just felt like suddenly there were women and women of color and like, or, or in a non-cisgendered men in the comic store, queer men in the comic store, coming for comics that weren't about superheroes. They were about, there were comics like Initial D that are about race. Mm-hmm. If you've ever, if you've ever seen yep. Tokyo Drift, Initial D is basically the comic version of it. You know, there were comics like GTO, which is, if I explain the premise, is not aged well, but was a fun comic at the time. And Love Hina and all this stuff. Dragon Ball, the Dragon Ball was a close superhero, but people were coming in, and this company Tokyo Pop was really leading it, coming in for these books. And that is what, and while the popularity ebbed and flowed in comic stores, if you look at the book market right now, if you look at the top 10 selling comics, usually two or three of them are My Hero Academia every month. That's, right. that they're selling 10,000 copies of My Hero Academia, volume one every month. Anybody under the age of 20, they all know this and they probably love it. And it is by far the most popular superhero narrative in the world. And there, you mix that with the rise of authors like Raina Telgemeier and Dav Pilkey, who do books like Dav does a, uh, Dav Van Raina does book like, books like Smile and Guts. And in the younger reader section, suddenly graphic novels, Amulet, uh, Kazukubishi, they were doing, they were doing these really um, popular series so he, like Amulet or Dog Man, and that are selling millions of copies. Like Dogman, each printing sells millions upon millions because they're through the Scholastic Book Fair, these huge audiences and parents are saying, oh, these are comics I can give my kids. And they're not mired in superhero continuity or you have to know which mm-hmm. hammer Thor used. And I love that stuff, but that's yeah. not accessible to new audience. And that, you know, the Ryan, so there's those two elements. Plus, and I'm, gonna, I'm a homer for the company I work for, the rise of companies like Image Comics, who made mm-hmm. things like The Walking Dead or a book called Saga, but made these comics that weren't 10 series you had to follow, know what's going on with Wolverine. They were like, you just read The Walking Dead volume one to 32. That's all you need to read. Yeah. There's no, you don't have to worry about anything else. And that was a way that you found a mainstream audience like to read comics. It suddenly became easier to read comics. And so the rise of independent comics, which you could see. Ninja Turtles in the 80s, but the rise of independent comics as this giant thing created a world where, where lots of people read comics. You had more, you had more genres and more options. But I do think you can't undersell how big uh, manga was and, and still continues to be. If you go to any Barnes Noble in the last year, the manga section will have grown, and the traditional graphic novel section has shrunk as a result because you will just sell so much more Dragon Ball or My Hero Academia or any of that stuff. Wow. So I've never heard that version of things, but it makes sense. And it actually makes me so happy because I, when I was a kid, I would go back to Taiwan really a a lot every other summer or something like that. And I, like one of my favorite memories is just wandering into manga shops and you would have like shelves of these mangas that you could, you basically, you pay money by the hour and just like kind of stand there and you read these comics. Yeah. People do as, as a kid. But you would see like just volumes and volumes of it. Like one of the first ones I loved, I mean, I think probably a lot of kids do, it's Dragon Ball Z, right? 
And I just remember, like, that was also one of the, my motivations for learning how to read Chinese. It's like, I, I have to read this. So, like, in a sense, it's just really cool to hear that because that's not um, attributing that to, like, kind of the widening of the audience. I think it makes a lot of sense because they had, back then even, like, a whole different wide range of stories, right? It wasn't just superheroes. It was the Dragon Ball, but you had Sailor Moon, and then you had like normal people. Like they almost had dramas too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would say like the probably the moment I'm, I'm proud, and it ties into this, I'm proud of stuff in my comics career from a press point of view. I think that uh, the thing I'm most proud of is actually the people who have worked with me or worked for me who have gone on to great careers. I, that's my greatest sense of pride. But from a like single execution standpoint, I executed the announcement campaign for a character everyone knows now, Miles Morales, who is a mm. mixed race Spider-Man. And that is one of one of, if not the only time, that comics have appeared on the front page of USA Today. Not not the front page of the life section, which is an achievement in and of itself, but yeah. the front page with reporter Brian Trude over there. We broke that news and I'll tell you the good part of it first. Week the amount of press. It was a Sunday on Colbert, Washington Post, doing op-eds on what it means for there to be a mixed race, black, Latinx, Spider-Man. You know, there is, I should have said Hispanic and wrong with Latinx, I apologize, but mixed race Spider-Man. And yeah, I, I, I want to make sure I'm respectful of my ignorance. I, my ignorance. Exactly. I have, better. I have to get better. We all do. So like that is, that was huge. And it was like one of those times where I'm, I may not be there with races, but it was like, I couldn't imagine as a kid there ever be somewhere in a Spider-Man costume who look like me. Right. And I'll be honest, there aren't many people in comics who look like me, but then you have characters like Miss Marvel, who is, you know, a brown among New Jersey. You have Simon Liu playing Shang-Chi, which didn't exist before. It's not like you have him starring in this movie. And in both those cases, by the way, in the Miss Marvel TV show and in this movie, you've seen Asian Canadian kids makes me so happy. Just makes me so happy because- I like, love that specificity. No, well, I couldn't have imagined. Like, I, when I watch yeah. Kim's, Kim's Convenience, will bring me to tears, not just because I think it's a fantastic <laughs> show, yeah. but because I, I'll look. My wife, Michelle, is, I mean, you know, you met her. She's from Manila. She moved yeah. to New York when she was 10, so she's Filipino American. And I tell her, like, this show, I am so thankful for the kids who grow up knowing this is not only possible, but is a real goal. Because I, I feel like emotional right now because that wasn't a thing you could do as a kid. Like I, right. I in my early 20s, I went to some acting auditions because I wanted to be on daytime soaps and I wanted to be a power ranger in the reversal. That's all I wanted from acting. And I mean, all my children are something and I've never been happy. And I was, to be clear, I was not a great actor, but it was also very clear I went to auditions. My, I was getting certain I was going to audition for certain roles. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, Cal Penn was probably the only actor I saw. And it's, you know, it's a fun fact that I think a lot of people have recognized that Cal Penn is not his name. His name is Cal Penn. Cal right. Penn Modi. And yep. it's like, he had to change it. I, I think of Chloe Bennett, who I worked with on, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when I did PR for that show. Her name's Chloe Lang. Yep. But she, she, she knew she would get more auditions changing her name. Right. And but when I see Kim's Convenience, it is Asian-Canadian kids and they get to be cool and they get to be sexy and they get to be, they get to be a plurality of things that I couldn't be, that right. me and my, all my Asian Canadian friends, we couldn't be. I, 
you know, you grow up and you, I, I was never quite brown enough for, for, for the Indian Canadians I knew. And I wasn't white enough for the white Canadians I knew. I lived in some kind of limbo. And I had a lot of Chinese American, Chinese Canadian friends. And they were amazing. They never made me feel like an outsider. But I also did realize we're like, that I was like the only one who was that brown. And that, mm-hmm. Like I realized, and it was like, we would joke. And, but there were moments you feel a bit alone. And also, it's going back to Miles Morales, the downside to I had to unplug my phone that day because all the PR calls were coming to my work phone and I got so many racist calls of like the, oh, mm. you hate white people or oh, with a name like, they say urine. I don't know what the, where they thought origin to urine. I don't, I can't describe it, but they'd be like, oh, of course you hate white people. I'm like, nope, 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 definitely don't. I wouldn't be in, com- wouldn't be in America or in comics <laughs> if that was just the case. But you realize after a while that these were not good faith conversations with permission of the folks at Marvel. I just unplugged my phone. They went to voicemail. And I just hit delete every voicemail before listening to it. It was not, right. there's no, there no good. There's no good that came from listening to it. That, that would arise a number of times when we had the first uh, gay superhero marriage. And, and I was able to work in Mary Bloomberg's office at the time, get him involved and work with Glad. And, but I got a lot of calls in there about how I must, why do I hate Christianity. Don't know how those two connect, but it's, uh, and it, it was tough, but I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Jason, I, I sit here now and I don't, I don't want any of the kids I deal with and anyone under 30, you're a kid listening to this story, folks, but it's like any of the kids now coming up, they have no idea what it's like to have a, a situation where there's not a Spider-Man who's mixed race. They don't know what it means to not have Shang-Chi treated like not an Orientalism trope, but treated like a cool, badass character. They don't know what it's like to, you know, like they're, I, I didn't grow up with shows, I'm thinking Canadian shows like Little Mosque on the Prairie or, or like, or, or Kim's Convenience or Fresh Off the Boat. Like these shows that, that, that just said you can be Asian, Canadian, American, whatever, and you could be its plurality of things. And for me, it's like, it is the, the small moments when they deal with racism and kids convenient that, that always get to me because that is, uh, we never, that those stories weren't allowed to be told. I was always told to get over it. I'm sure you went through this too. We were just told to get over it. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not that bad. Or like, you got to stop being so emotional, whatever coded phrase you use. So that's the greatest joy in this career is just seeing like meeting a whole bunch of kids who are so, who are so passionate. I think, I think progress is, is a is a conflict is, is a result of a conflict between the wisdom of age and the absolutism of youth. That's what gets progress because mm. we give them perspective on how far it's progressed. They give us perspective on how far we have to go. Yeah. Because started somewhere and we're like, look how good it is. They're like, yeah, it should be better. And you're like, and and I love, I love how much they push me to like not just be cool with everything, to be to always strive for more. And I can push them to be like, hey, uh, there are good people. Just give them time. Everyone starts giving a little bit of time to get to the place you're going to get to. Yeah. I think that's a very healthy and balanced perspective. Going back to what you said earlier about kind of the downside of things. Actually, I'm curious just to kind of just, just go there just for one second. Is, yeah. I'm curious with that sort of negativity that you had with such a monumentous event, how did you deal with that? just emotionally. And one of the reasons why I asked is because the last guest that I had, he actually, we didn't get time to talk about it, but he's a YouTuber 
and he has like quarter million subscribers. And he did talk about the fact that one of the things is that there's a lot of trolls online. And so that definitely affects you. How, yeah, how, in that situation, or maybe just in generality, like, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? I will tell you, it's lonely uh, from a rational point of view. It's really lonely. I'm like, actually, I never said that out loud. It's lonely. Like, do me wrong. My wife is great to talk to. She, I met her because she worked at Marvel as well. Mm. And so she had a unique understanding of things. And, and she's an amazing woman in a whole bunch of ways and an amazing partner. But also she she gets it. And it's it's lonely. I'm lucky to be at a company like Skybound that has a diversity and inclusivity committee. And that when I was doing the interview process, one of the reasons I took the job is the CMO and the VP of D2C are both Asian Americans. Okay. And it was really, it was one of the few companies I've ever gone through in the geek space that ever had Asian Americans in an executive role and more than right. one, especially, but it was like, oh, this is great. It's so many people and it, and it's been great to have that perspective, but it's lonely because if there is uh, Asian American or, or BIPOC inclusivity, it's often at junior ranks. So you end up being like the only person in the senior ranks. And I want to be clear, I benefited from male privilege. I've benefited from being in that boys club. Certainly. So I have privilege. I want to acknowledge that. But it also means that like, I have to be the, I have the, I have both the honor and the burden of being a voice for people. Like it's, it's, Incredibly flattering people trust you enough to go into battle for them because they're giving you something personal and they're they're being vulnerable with you. And I want to do right by them, but it is hard when it is hard when you're in a room with with well-meaning people who have probably reached the limits of how progressive they're going to be, whether they acknowledge it or not. And 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 at the same time, even if they want to be more aren't always as willing to, to give up the power for equality. You know, it's really tough. It is. And so then the conversations I've found in much, many times in my career always devolve into the, are you asking me to dilute my talent pool to hire more people? Are you, mm -hmm. I, and this is a phrase I've heard not so long ago. Are you, and then like, you know, we can't impose quotas. It has to happen naturally. And I was, and I was, I was like, I say, well, naturally here's what's happening. I'm <laughs> not choosing these people. So if you want to tell me we're all unqualified, like let's have that conversation like real people. Let's have it, but like you can't blame the system or the system. <laughs> and like that's and that's a hard conversation because it's hard for people not to feel put up, not feel attacked, not feel threatened. Look, it's hard for me as a cisgendered head male to like sometimes hear where I have privilege or blinders. It is, but it's not difficult. Like it's not the work that we have to do is not difficult. You can step back and say, okay, we need to have, we have programs where we're, we're identifying new talent and we need to have like feeder systems. And I can make an economic argument to you about why it's really, why instead of paying high for, for, for Jordan Peele, when he's now worth this much more, why not try to develop your own one, essentially have it a better rate. And then when he gets paid more, you're making money together. Like I can make the economic arguments to you. You're a film exec. You know exactly how this works. Yep. And, but that requires an investment in, in, and it requires people being willing to realize what they don't see may be a result of their life experiences. So let me give you a very specific example. Yeah. I did, I did not enjoy the Captain Marvel movie. Okay. Not my thing. But can I be honest with you? Who effing cares? It was yeah. not, 
made, like if I enjoyed this incidental to the audience, it meant something to me. That movie meant so much to, to people around the world, especially women. And I'm not going to like, imagine though, if, but I would never say don't greenlight that movie. I would just be like, if I was sitting in a room with a pitch for that, you need to have women in the room. You need to have people in the room who understand this. So it's not just a bunch of dudes sitting around the room who are like, it doesn't speak to me. Nah, it just doesn't speak to me because we are limited by our experience and what speaks to us. My, my, my wife, you know, we have very similar interests, but like she loves the Marvel movies. I, I for the most part, like I'm not, I'm not a big live action superhero guy. It's just, mm-hmm. just whatever. And, and so we can be different and like, but I would never tell her those aren't good. There's not a value in there. And I think so often what happens is you have people who believe in the illusion of meritocracy and the illusion of objective taste. And they're like, oh no, the best work will rise to the top. The best people will rise to the top, but they never develop a system for those people, whether whether they be as actors or writers or whatever, to rise to the top. And then they don't have people in the room who understand the nuance of the story. It's like, uh, if you hear the story about, about how uh, originally for Black Panther, the plan was for, for T'Challa to have a British accent. And I think, I'm not sure if it was Ryan Coogler or Chadwick Boseman who pointed out, they've never been conquered by the British. Why would they talk with a British accent? But it's this like bias we have. We hear these right. accents and we think they're erudite and like sophisticated. Right, yep. And you need people in the room with lived experience who say, no, I don't. We would not sound like people we have not been conquered by. Yeah. We didn't need go. to go learn from them. We would sound like Africans. And yep. like, that's, I don't know, that's, that's, that's the tough part, man. It's a lonely experience in there, but it's changed people. And I think there are, the generation coming up has no patience for those old ways and old structures. And I cannot wait to see them tear it down. Yeah, we should not. And uh, I mean, it just goes to, sh- it, it just, all, all of this that you just talked about is also proving the first thing you said about the manga and how that opens up the world, right? With all this kind of stuff, like for example, manga opens a world for other demographics to enjoy this form of storytelling. And then what you mentioned with Captain Marvel, that allows a, also a whole different audience to enjoy the Marvel live action films, right? Mm-hmm. So like the whole time you are growing so there's one thing where you're growing this pie and instead of fighting over like the same pie, you're growing a bigger pie or creating another one. And so it's actually better business for everyone. So if more people only thought of it that way, it's actually the reality. That's actually the truth. Yeah. If you tell these other stories, right, you don't have to blame like declining box office on the fact that no one wants to go to theaters. Like maybe they don't want to go to theaters because they've seen that movie before, you know, like, or a yeah. version of that, of, of that, of that story, like over and over and over again. I mean, even one of the things that you mentioned about how having something like, you know, your childhood, right. Or what you could see or could not see on screen. Like the fact that you have these shows like Kim's convenience on air. Now, the funny thing is that if you look a little harder, those stories are actually the stories that we see around us with our friends or in our co-workers or all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But for some reason, only a certain fraction of the stories get on air or get made into films or whatever. And the great thing is now with technology or whatnot, or just people, I think maybe change, change another thing, just like you have to change the times. With that, the fact that these things are coming out, it's a bright future, you know, but with this change, you have some people that are resistant to it. And that's why you had, you know, folks, the, the trolley type people, 
<laughs> uh, well, I would say that a different name because the troll sounds a little cute. Yeah, it does. It. It's, there's <laughs> those toys with the jewels and the hair. I, I would say, like, you know, I, I think one of the things people underrate about the Fast and Furious movies, which I unabashedly love, I is, love too. Some is I, I, but I, I would say I watch Fast and Furious movies and I exist in that world. Like, yeah. I 100% exist in that world. Like, there may not be an Indian American character, but you have the cool guy is this, is a, I want to say some Kang is Korean American. Like, yeah. It's a Korean-American actor who gets to be the cool guy, and he's not the martial artist. Very explicitly, they make it clear he's yeah. not the martial artist. And you get to have characters of varying ethnicities and, and genders. And, like, Tyrese is never a black character. You have a multitude. And I mm -hmm. think that is – I think people forget how much that can excite us. You know, I think back to what was 2015 – when Empire hit and it was a huge TV show. Remember, it was mm -hmm. the biggest long network launch forever. And it was also fascinating to me that people were surprised because it meant they didn't know how big the ratings and BET were. So for a black audience, they also, it was also interesting to see how much there wasn't seemingly a rush to copy the, like there were no more, suddenly people treated that like an aberration as though it wasn't a mm. sign of like, every time there is a, especially like, I'll look at with black success, whether it be Black Panther or Empire, Everyone acts like it's an aberration, yeah. not like, let's find more of these stories. Or yeah. even like Crazy Rich Asians. Mm. Yes, it's, it's an aberration. But, but, but if there is one, and I say this with love, there's one mediocre Jason Statham movie, we should make a dozen mediocre Jason Statham movies. I love Jason Statham. His new trailer looks like a perfect movie. I was just going to say, I just movie. saw the new Guy Richard film. I was like, it's the same thing, but I still love it. Yeah, I'm going to see it. <laughs> I cannot wait to see it. I'm going to pay the money to rent it. But yeah, but it's like, where is like that's how we'll know when we won is when we get yeah. perfectly mediocre Asian American romance stories and like yeah. that aren't aren't just with Henry Bo Henry Golding yeah. but like where we get these perfectly mediocre films and no one says anything about them except we move on and we make more that's like the progress of comics with film with TV with music we need to have that system and I, it's funny I was thinking about the other day like that I hear K-pop on the radio. Like, mm. just, it's a normal thing. You hear Blackpink or BTS, mm. and you're like, what a world, amazing world we're in. Again, a generation will, not, will grow up hearing music in other languages, and that's perfect. And that's amazing to me. You can't go back. Like, that's the thing. That, that, you can't go backwards anymore. This is how it is. And I love this generation that this is just regular for. On that, I think we really also have to remind ourselves to always keep the foot on the pedal because mm -hmm. it is easy. So one of the books that I got last year was there was this book called The Hollywood Chinese. And the one thing that I realized is actually there's like in the hundred years of Hollywood, there's actually so many moments of Chinese excellence, like Anime Wong, Nancy Kwan, going, so going back like a long, long time. But what happens is every time there's like a little success, I don't know exactly what happens. I haven't read the whole book yet because there's amazing pictures, but at some point then it's forgotten. Maybe a little bit like what you said with like the black experience, right? It's treated as like an anomaly. So then you don't put the resources and time into developing like the next one. Can I be honest with you, Jason? I think a lot of it is because there are people for who the, the who value the aesthetic of progress more than the substance of progress. Mm -hmm. So yeah. so there's two things I think happen. One is, hey, look, we made we made crazy rich Asians, look, we're progressive. Let's just go back to everything else. We, we, we gave you your thing as though we're supposed to be like grateful for the table scraps as though like, right. you, as though we didn't already deserve this. The other version is 
when it feels like the rubber band snaps back. But they're like, whoa, 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 yeah. Minari, look at all this. Like, I know that's a whole controversy in and of itself, but I can see someone be like, okay, look, look at all the Asian people, Asian and Asian Americans who've been here. Okay, great. Let's go back to making normal movies now. Right. And for them, it's just like we went so far. We don't want to become the Asian movie company, <laughs> do we? Which I want to be like, as you know from your experience, yeah, there's a lot of money in being that. You <laughs> want to be that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that is that, that's what happens. But it, it is there's a there's a lot of people in every industry who value the aesthetic more than the substance. And I actually think those are in some ways, in some moments, can be the more dangerous ones because they're the ones we believe are who we believe are falsely at, falsely believe are allies, and who falsely themselves believe they are allies. And it's tough, and you have to give people a chance to learn. You have to help them learn because. We have to allow each other our imperfections and our room for growth, mm. but it's, but we have to also hold each other accountable. And I've, you know, you and I have both met amazing allies outside of our, our identities in this industry. And I always try to make sure I verbalize to those people how much I don't take it for granted. Right. They are such good allies because I think it can help to know you're doing good. Look, it helps. It helped me from some of the people on my team uh, who are queer to know that I was doing something to at least help their community because not that I'm some hero or anything, it's not that, but like, I, it was nice to hear that my, I was making, I was actually like doing something because sometimes well, you, you don't know if you're, you're helping. You care about someone else, right? And their situation, yeah. right? Yeah, we have to recognize, we have to recognize, recognize each other when they care. So it's tough, but look, I, I do believe we're in a good place. I do believe we're getting, I do believe it's getting better. I do believe mm-hmm. we're making progress, but uh, you know, over those last 20 years, I can tell you it's still not enough. Yeah. Definitely not enough. Totally. Yeah. Needs to yeah. be more. And as a Canadian, do you think that that, like, do you, do you find yourself thinking about that working in the U S a lot and how does that help you? Or is that a, is that ever a detriment? Oh, you mean the Canadian identity or having grown yeah. up in Canada? Yeah. It's interesting. I'll tell you the perspective I have is that when I was growing up in Canada, I used to not get invited to some birthday parties because I wasn't Christian. And like my, their parents would tell my parents I'd be a bad influence, but that I was, I was allowed to give a gift that couldn't come to the party. You're like, okay. And I remember always being wasn't really Canadian and I was born there. My parents immigrated, mm. but I was born there, mm. you know, and it took me a long time. There's a group of friends I have who are who are, who are a comic studio in Canada called Toronto called Raid R A I D, with Asian American and Asian Canadian sorry multiracial group. Francis Manipal, Kalman Andrusovsky, Marcus Toe, Ramon Perez, a great group of people there, who really hit over the last like, five six years have helped me let go of a lot of the anger I had about when I grew up in Toronto and feeling like mm. all I will I. I I also always get angry and wonder, why am I not enough? Like, don't get me wrong. I was a dork. I had my own issues. But, like, why was I not enough? Why was I Why was I never Canadian enough? Why did I Why did I have to justify my Canadianness? Why did it? And that's something that's my fault, right? Like, I was uncomfortable with my own skin. But, like, why wasn't I enough? And they were a really good group of friends who helped me understand that I was. And I had other good friends, but, like, it was really, I think, in 2016, I was there. I went back to Toronto to watch some World Series playoff games, and I spent mm-hmm. with guys. And it was, 
Yep. It was really the first time I felt like I reclaimed my Canadian identity in a way that was that was about the positive and not just the. I didn't feel desperate to fit in. I felt like I finally fit in, and I had I had I had some good white friends as well that made me feel that way. But it was right. It was tough because even these kids when they were younger, and I tried not to hold it against them, would be like, you know, you're Canadian, but you're not a Canadian Canadian. Right. And then coming to the U.S., you know, the great melting pot. The if you work so hard, the the the, the American exceptionalism. I moved here in 2000 and then 9-11 hit and I was very right. much the wrong skin color in this country for a different reason. And mm-hmm. dating was really hard. It was, I could tell where people uh, perceived me differently. You all got the, oh, where are you from? You know this, Jason. Where are you, where are you from is a three-part question. Where are you from? <laughs> oh, where are you really from? And then, oh, where are your parents from? It's always right. three parts. Yeah, and I get, I get to this day, I get your English is excellent. Yeah, man, I gotta be honest with you, <laughs> dude. That's a, that is, I get the, I get that, I get the more people ask me if I'm Muslim, but when I tell them I'm not, the really offensive side of relief. And I've actually learned to not answer that question anymore. I'm Hindu and I'm Sikh, but I'm like, people are you Muslim? I'm like, it doesn't matter. It's just my response. It just doesn't. Mm. Like, I, in answering it, I provided them a bit of validation because I myself, was trying to like, you know, find acceptance because not that right. I'm not people. this, so you can like me. <laughs> yes, yes. And I realized I was playing to a trap. And second, people tell me I have an exotic name, and I and I have told a I told a Lyft driver to f off one day. He said that to me. We just pulled outside my home, and he's like, he's like, well, I said no, you can like you can honestly f off. And I said the whole word. And I said like, doesn't matter. Like we can drive where I'm going, bro. I'll pay you. You'll get. It. But like, please don't talk to me. Like just, right. you would not ask a person named Matt their exotic name, really more exotic than some guy named Matt. He's right. like, well, I didn't mean offense. And I'm like, I, I said like, dude, we're not talking. Like, we're just not talking. Right. That's, and so we, and it was, you know, I didn't put the guy on blast or report him to lift. I, right. I didn't need to do that. But like, I was, was like, you know what, this is, I, I don't have time for that. And so, you know, living in Utah, honestly, Utah was a place where I found more friends who gave less of a crap about my racial identity than mm. any other, anywhere I've lived. Honestly, it was a lot of really good blue collar 20 somethings. And I was a middle-class 20 something. And though that's the place where my white friend would come over and eat the Indian food, could say my parents' names correctly, would actually talk to my parents like human beings right. and would actually defend me mm. and, tr- and would never make me apologize like I had a friend before, I was like, uh, sometimes, so I'd go by different names of a room. And I had a friend who's like, stop, your name's a room. So mm-hmm. he'd be like, that's an effing cool name, man. My name's, right. you know, like Nick. He's like, I don't have a cool name. It's normal. You have a cool name. And you might be like a room, it's still other than you. I don't know, man. That felt good to me. Like, I was yeah. being other. I felt like I got to be cool. Right. And, and it was like. Or just like something, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was like the first time. I just wrote an essay about this for a friend's book on Asian American identity. And it was. The first time I had three Mormon friends, white guys who would like, who would literally get in front of punches for me. If we go to the club and stuff happens, they, right. they'd have my back when I, you know, we all act a fool. And like they would. And, and so it was, it gave, what, to your question, it gave, it, it, I'm trying to answer it. It gave me perspective. Like New York was, New York is 100% the most outwardly racist place I ever lived. 100%. It, I got stopped randomly stopped for stop and frisk so often, Jason. And I was like, 
all I could do was just grin, Barrett, because you fight. You don't. Right. You don't. Oh, you don't yeah. win. You don't win yeah, the look no. of that. You don't win no. the look of it. Um, no. it becomes like a power thing. It is a power, and it, to this day, I consider TSA pre-check. I consider that like extortion. I do it because I don't want. I am tired of this. Happens so much more. Yeah. I am sick and tired of my pants being taken pulled down in front right. of everybody. I'm not taken to the side. My right. pants are open and pulled down and people put their hands down. Do you have a weapon down there? And my response to them glibly is it's not that big. And like, because I have to, cause, and, and like, because honestly, I, I'm like, what, what do you, like, what is this? Like, right. and I, this happened most recently to me in 2019 in January at uh, Seattle airport. And I'm trying and I got out and, they're like, well, they're, they're like, well, you have some metal, you have a weapon. And I said, I don't. I have some metal, and I have had a bunch of surgery, so I have metal in my jaw, metal in my chest, metal in my shoulder, metal in my bicep, metal wire going through here, and and I said, look, there's 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 that, but they're like, well, and they just put their hand down my pants. So I'm like, I'm sorry, do you find anything you like there? And they're like, sir, you need to calm down. And I said, you need to that. And one of my friends, his name is Spencer Simpson. He worked for me at Boone Studios. Phenomenal human being. And who would have thought a white guy from Alabama would be like one of my best allies I've ever met in the industry? But Spencer Simpson, great guy. He just walked over. He's like, is there anything wrong here? And the minute they saw him walk over, they were like, oh, no, we're good. Because I had a white ally. Yeah. And as Boom is aware, I expensed three shots of uh, tequila for my dinner that night. So I was just not a good mood. And, you know, I like that's uh, It's giving me perspective. And, and look, LA is no, is no cakewalk. But... You know, it was one day, Michelle and I, my wife, did we move to Toronto one day? Maybe. I'm still a Canadian mm-hmm. and an American citizen and Canadian. Maybe we do. Maybe we move to Vancouver. Right. We love Montreal, but we also realize there's only a certain part of Montreal and Quebec that's really integrated. And yeah, and, and I think that's, that's the thing, man. Like we talk about moving and we've actually, based on social political concerns, we have a very narrow list of states we really think makes sense for oh, yeah. us to move to. Mm-hmm. And you know, because we moved to Florida, I'm going to be Cuban, I think. That's what I get mistaken for. Not moving to Texas, you know. And there's a very list, smallest of states where, you know, you know this, man, we've, pay, we've paid our dues eating that crap. And we, I don't need to put myself on that front line of it every day at this point in my life. I'm, I'm going to fight, but I want to live somewhere where I can step out my door and my wife feels safe. Right. That's what I want. For sure. On that, I was recently thinking of Hawaii. <laughs> you know what? I love that. I've actually never been. She's visited. I've never been. Oh, you never but been. Everybody tells me the minute I go there, I won't want to leave. Yeah, um, you should just you should just go just to see it. You know. And so my my it. goal is. I just want to tell you my life plan here, Jason. You're you're you know for all your listeners knows you're a very connected, powerful, influential man in this world. I need you to introduce me to the Rock, so we become best friends. <laughs> we become workout buddies. I know. I become, I I become like. Blends. <laughs> I become his farmhand or whatever on work his home. I'm yeah. look, man. I'll be the I'll take care. I'll be the housekeeper, and then I live in Hawaii, taking care of the rock stuff. I get to work out with him every so often. That's right. my plan. Jason, you are a connected man. <laughs> you and everyone else. We all we all we all want that job. <laughs> yeah, Jason, I'll hire. Look, we'll figure it out together, man. We'll right, figure it out together. Yeah, you can produce not, the we'll, we'll grow the pie. We'll grow the pie yeah. there. Yeah. I had a question for you on, you know, working in not just entertainment, but in a role that you have is more media and marketing communications. These things that you're talking about, both in real life and in the industry, 
what role do you think the media has in this and how can things, how can the media do better? Oh boy. Oh boy. You, you went for the softball question there, didn't you? <laughs> I think there is an incredible responsibility for the media to not present mistruths about, about racism as another side. You know, you'll see often people quoted like, Senator Mitch McConnell says there, there, is, there is no racism in the use of the filibuster. Well, it's just not true, you know, like, or whatever the quote was, like, you've presented, a, it's a falsehood. And so if you don't want to say he lied, you can say incorrectly. Like, I, I'm not here to adjudicate lie versus mistake versus whatever. But I also think the other part of it is we have to discuss the stories of Asian Americans not just when they're victims of violence, and, and often then the story is about the perpetrator, but mm. also in our moments of excellence yep. and, not at, and normalize our excellence so that when we talk about it, I'm sorry, when you see a story of someone who's white who's successful, you're not like, oh my God, a white man succeeded, right? Yep. And, and, and you, I want to have a story about Jason Lynn and his venture. And it's not like, look at a new Asian American voice hitting a how groundbreaking it is. Right. Like, I'm tired of the first. I'm tired of the second. I just want us to talk about, look at, look at what Jason Lynn is doing, exploring identity. Isn't that so cool? Fifth right. paragraph, by the way, Asian American entrepreneur. Right. That's what I want. And I want it to get to a place where I'm not surprised when I see that story about Asian American. I want it to be such a normal conversation. And I want, I think media has to look at how they frame those conversations. Media has to make a has to have more diverse voices in the in the newsrooms to talk, have these conversations. And I look at stuff like the Washington Post controversy right now about their guidelines about who can who can cover what stories and their their thoughts of what oh. bias are, you know, their thoughts of what bias are amount to if you have lived an experience, you are biased unless you're a white man. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not saying anybody inherently at the Washington Post means to be racist. But you may not mean to be something, and the end result can still be that. And the end right. result is a racist, biased, sexist policy that needs to be fixed. And the Washington Post is not alone in that. But that is, we go back to our conversation about having people in the room. I think Ryan Coogler is the one who told the story before about going to, and I may, I may hope I get his names right, going to meet Marvel Studios. And if, if Nate Moore hadn't been in the room, he didn't want to do a Black Panther movie. There was no one Black in the room mm -hmm. who understood what story they were telling. Right. And I think about that like, you know, this is like, well, we can't tokenize. I don't look at tokenizing. There are tons of deserving Asian American, BIPOC, queer, oh, yeah. non-binary, whatever uh, a group who should be in those rooms. And it's time we correct our mistakes. Yep. That is not tokenizing. That is doing right. It's, I was having a story with someone, comes conversation two weeks ago about, about statements made, about the stop Asian hate statements yep. that have been made. And, and Skybound... I want to say give credit to Robert Kirkman and David Albert, aka DA, at Skybound very quickly and unequivocally. And Eric Stevenson over at Image Comics moved very quickly and unequivocally to, to make sure they repudiated those horrible acts, that horrible crime, and, and the rise of violence. And I, you know, I had a conversation with various people around in, in comics saying, for you, words about anti-Asian or stop Asian hate may feel empty because they're just words. And I would say, well, that might mean you have an absence of action. But for Asian Americans like us, we haven't heard people speak up about this. Mm -hmm. You know, we haven't heard people speak for us. So the words are the first step along the way. 
they are the they are for you they're the lowest bar for us they're the bar we're still trying to achieve and i agree they yeah. should be the lowest but let's grasp that bar before we look down on it and i feel like we're now grasping it and whether they're performative whether what our job is you said this you were so right about this jason we can't take our foot off the pedal great you said it now what are you doing show me the good the same thing that we all have to do for our black siblings who who we made statements of solidarity with last year we have to we have to interrogate ourselves and companies made these statements up we have to we have to hold them to account not as punishment but to help them grow and to help them be better because we look if you are Asian Americans the wrong way, we got lots of money to spend in places. We want to spend it with you. So do black Americans, so do Hispanic, Latino. We all these groups have lots of money. It is why when a product is made for us, it does so incredibly well. It is yeah. why there are there are if you listen to Latin or Hispanic Spanish music stations, there are stars you've never heard of. Oh yeah. More popular than anyone you know. But mm-hmm. just because you haven't heard of them, you think they're not. BTS did not need America to be rich forever. But it certainly helps. But mm-hmm. like that's, that is, you know, there's well, all that's all the place that they deserve, right? You know? Yes. Yeah. It's like, obviously, like I, you, you hear a song like Dynamite, you're like, this is cool. But yep. you need to have people like John Cena, who was going out there talking about BTS before, for, before very many American influ- actors, influencers knew who BTS were. And, you need to actually have more people like John Cena who go and learn other languages, learn other cultures. Yes, for business purposes, but also because they actually commit to the ideal they espouse. And it is, God, you, everyone listening, Rue, you talk a lot. You, you're shiny petty, man. But like, this is, this, this is like, this is what they need to do. And I am, I think it's really important, Jason. I want to say this. Thank you for, for giving people like myself this forum, for people like Pat, friends like Pageant who were around here before. Yeah. For, I think creating this forum because I think it is, it is also an example of you putting your, your, your time, your money where your mouth is. This is, this is an endeavor. This is a long term endeavor. This is not like you're like, let me do a podcast and get rich. You are, you, this is a thing of passion and it, it is you to your ideals and i i respect the hell out of that man and it's, it's it, it inspires me to say what else can i be doing to elevate voices around me yeah that's the beauty of um where we are right now with technology like you know like i've had this idea and i didn't know what to do i was like oh how do i do this like a podcast how do i record how do i get a light how do i do the video what like how do i do everything and then you know i just i had i at some point, I was just like, well, I'll figure it out. And you do this step by step. But I came to this like with super low kind of expectations. So we'll see where this goes. But I think the more of us that do it and figure it out in our own way, whatever that is, like, you know, no, no one has to copy anyone or it's fine copying if that's what you want to do too. But <laughs> everyone just kind of figure out what it is for themselves and do something, right? I'm curious also, like, you know, I'll first go to like, you mentioned kind of in your role and kind of tackling these biases or things like that. How do you, is there a certain thing that you do in your job to whether train your employees, like people that work for you or train the media to try to, you know, kind of move things forward? 
Uh, you mean in terms of talking about race or inclusivity or? Or just, you know, yeah. Or even just doing your, 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 like selling a comic or talking about a comic, but doing it so in a way that helps move the conversation forward. Like, cause you mentioned like, for example, not wanting to see like the first Asian, whatever in the first paragraph. Is there, are there things that you, like, what are the things that you're doing, like, yeah. with your employees, with the media partners that you're working with, like, to, to, like, what are actionable steps, I think? It's just I think it what, would be cool I, to hear some of the, the things that you might do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, yeah. I think with media, I think uh, when you work with good partners, you make their lives easier when you help give them the pitch. Like, you don't, you're not writing the story from them, but you, on some level, if you cannot articulate a compelling headline and a compelling like lead, then you're never going to be able to sell it. So part of what you have to do is figure out how to have these conversations in a way. This was a big debate actually at Marvel. We announced Miles Morales. It was a debate in the press release. If we say he was mixed race, we'll just let the art show it. Mm. Because we, we, were, we were having a real conversation about are we commodifying racism? Mm -hmm. So that stuck with me. And we and at what point is saying the thing uh, a version of support and i want to say that we said north star who was next man he was marrying his boyfriend i think we said the first girl wedding. we might have said it but certainly we made sure to talk about that because that was at a point when i think new york had just legalized same-sex marriage uh, and gay marriage and they and we wanted to while the company couldn't take a position we wanted to be clear the characters in the story were taking a position mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a difficult line to, to, to walk. You know, when we talk about things, I always, there's two things. One, it's this, the pitch, like I said, the lead and the headline. The second part is dealing with your own unconscious bias and making sure that you are finding ways to elevate those creators. Because mm. you, you, it's easy to fall into the trap of saying, I'm saying creators to the comics, to be like, oh, the so-and-so, usually white, usually male, they're the big ones, look at the headlines, I'll keep pitching them. You got well, you gotta put in the work to be up making the other creators bigger. So maybe you can't land someone else at New York Times, but you can la land them at sites like Nerd Geeks of Color or Nerds of Color or comicbook.com, which is a gigantic site, or or comic resources. And you can start building up awareness there because you recognize the ecosystem, which is all your geek reporters at the New York Times or Washington Post also read the sites. So you are elevating them with those writers. And eventually you can then get to a place where you're, you're pitching. Like to me, it's like, you should always be in motion. Like you have this talent, find ways to pitch them. So you have to always be looking at other ways to elevate. And you can't get that white whale. You have to look for other ways to keep them in the conversation because that is ultimately the only way to make them household names who then can get pitched to those bigger places. The second part of it is as a person at a, at a, at a company, I think there's two responsibilities you have. To the people who report to you, it's important to be vulnerable and share your experiences. It is also really important to listen to them and let them share their experiences. And so I was always really big on small things, especially small, like never tell me so-and-so couldn't get you something in time, unless they were literally writing and drawing the comic themselves. It's not their, like, it's not their fault. Like if you start speaking about things as, hey, this wasn't available, you create collaboration because you're not creating here are the villains and you're not pointing fingers. The other part is like, we should, we have to have environments where we're comfortable talking about identity and that we can correct each other or educate each other. Mm. When we don't use proper, we don't use correct pronouns. We don't use correct pronunciations. Like we should be okay with someone asking us, hey, is that the correct way to pronounce that person's name? I've never heard it that way. Right.
And someone else may be like, oh, yes, I asked. And if someone says, well, I think so, like, did we ever ask the person? I would ask people all the time, is that how I say your name correctly? And then try to spell it out phonetically. And it's, you know, I, because it, rather than someone calling me Mr. Singh, let me just teach you to say your word. Right. And then, you know, we can go from there. But it, it, it can be a lot for people. My, my wife's last name is Mira Segan. And I first thought it was Mara Segan because it could be, or it could be Mara Segan. Like, is she a teacher Mara Segan? And my name's Arun, but if you talk to some Indians, it'll be Arun. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, that's valid too. I just don't say my name that way. Right. And so you want to like, you know, like it's a Kamala versus Kamala. I think it depends yeah. how you say your name. So yes, I think then, I think as, a, as someone who is BIPOC, I have a responsibility to them as a the people who are my peers or my superiors is to educate them. And that's really tough. And that's where the biggest burden comes on us because you can sometimes feel, you can feel like I said, lonely, like the one in the room, but you have to, I usually, I, what I would try to do is collect articles that I found interesting and stuff well, and be able to share those when I bring up an issue like, Hey, you're, we're actually, just, we're actually getting into like an area with this trope. Like if I want to talk about the white savior trope, you know, as it relates, especially the Asian American stories, I like to have some articles where I'll just say like, hey, here's the thing we're talking about. Or mm. articles about, I have saved articles about Minari so that when we talk about Asian American stories, you know, even at somewhere like Skybound, we talk about them like American stories. It's not an issue yeah. I have at Skybound, but I've saved those articles to be like, hey, this is this is how people verbalize, smarter than me, verbalize conversation around Asian American stories relative to Minari, we should keep that in mind. But it's, I think you, what you have to do in both those situations is... You have to, as as a person, put the work in yeah. to finding the right, the most solution-oriented words. That doesn't yeah. mean that to be politicked and and, and, mis- and and massaged to death. But ultimately, there's two versions of the conversation. Hey, Aaron, uh, it's a rune. Are you an effing idiot? You don't know how to pronounce my name? Right. Or, hey, no. And at the end, if it's coincide, like, actually, it's like, it's... No worries, dude, but like it's a room like maroon at the end. And there'll be, there'll be a gasp, but like right. you haven't tried to make them look bad in your group. You've had a conversation inside. And as you get to throwing your issues, look, there are people who might hear this and be like, Maroon, I've heard you talk about race. You put me on my heels a bit. And sure. And I will say that I probably thought that was the right thing to do. Maybe I was wrong. But there are also you have to also then learn when you do need to be a little bit intractable and and but you need precision in your language. You need precision. So keep educating yourself. I learned a few weeks ago the term similarity bias, which I didn't know. And similarity bias, unconscious bias, those are, you might say, aren't those just euphemisms for racism? Mm-hmm. They could be, but they're more effective at singling out what I need to single out in the conversation. Right, specific. Yeah, and, and we both know the only thing worse than being racist is being labeled a racist. So for a certain segment of people. So I can be angry at that reality, but I need to accept that reality and work within it with the people I have. Right. And that's like, that's the conversation that you have to educate yourself. And what I say is road testing conversations with people you trust and see how they react, see what they think and, and listen when they tell you why it's not connected. Yeah. Wow. That's really great. I want to acknowledge you for doing that because first of all, you said, about the work, right? So you have to put in work. It's a hard work because a lot of times people don't want to do this work. And then the other thing is helping not only educate yourself, but then doing the next step, which is helping figure out, like you mentioned with the article clippings, 
like helping to educate other people and to share that information because a lot of times like we're all busy like we don't have that time or we don't want to do it or whatever other reason there is but yeah can i tell you, can I tell you the method that works for me really well yes please um, i i build i'll build an faq and so in a, i'll just make a word doc and in bold will be the person i'm talking to in the, the, the non-bold and i make the questions as i make them as good faith and as bad faith as possible so like i i run through like hey hey person here's my issue oh but why is this an issue and you and, and then you you i i find writing on the conversation I play through it all and be like, and I've learned now over time, and I don't have to alter anything. I can see where this is going to get to the 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 decision, the conversation will get to the tokenism accusation or the meritocracy thing, and I and and it's helped me to like try to list, think of all the questions they might ask. I don't have to agree with them. Mm -hmm. I know those questions exist. I have to have a way to respond, and then move the conversation forward and explain sometimes why the premise of the question is flawed. But you know, like. And, and it's, you have to learn to do it very quickly. And as people can tell, I'm loquacious. So especially for me, I have to learn to do this efficiently because yep. these people, the people you're talking to only have so much time and they're, they're already emotionally on their heel from the conversation. But writing it down is always, I think anything with emotions, writing it down is the best thing. But once you write it, write it, let it sit, and then come back to the document and just be like, do I sound like a Eight. Okay, well, I can't swear here. Do I sound like a jerk? Do yeah. I sound like a jerk? And oh, you can swear on here. <laughs> okay, do I sound like an a, a fucking asshole? And if I yeah. do, how do I at least change the word? If it was in an email, I wouldn't get in trouble for it. Like, I'll think of that. When you write it right. down, you think about your words, and if it would put in an email, you don't say it to someone's face. And so, like, this is, it's, it's a constant challenge. And I do want to say one other thing. I think as, as for all of us listening here who are BIPOC, it's important for us to remind ourselves just because we've lived our experience, it doesn't mean we've ever experienced. There's a mm -hmm. plurality. My brother is darker skin than me. He would, and you and I, you know, we both know what light, light skin privilege means. And that gives us something different than other people in our families or our friends because of the biases that exist. And right. within our own cultures, even within our own cultures. And so I, I have to always remind myself that I don't know it all. And like, I'll talk to my parents sometimes and my parents had, you know, very different experiences coming. Mm -hmm. And there were things where like, my parents don't care about who being voiced by a white guy in a Simpsons. For them, they don't, they're like, there was a brown character on TV. It was kind of funny. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, they're like, this is so caricature, like, we don't care. There's a generation has come up, often mine, younger, who are like, how dare you? Both are right. true, both are valid. And yes. what we have to learn, too, is not to eat our own. Is like, you can accept that my parents feel that way. I, I've, I, and you can say, okay, why do you feel that way? Educate me. And then I don't have to agree with them. I need to understand it because I don't want to, when I'm crusading for what I believe is important, I don't want to inadvertently lose those allies, too. Sometimes mm -hmm. we take things to such extremes and in our rhetoric and our behavior that we can end up turning away allies. And sure, maybe you can take the position of maybe they weren't allies to begin with. Okay, but like, this is a numbers game. Like this is, this is what this is. We are going to win by progress with the most amount of people pushing that boulder up the hill. Yep. So we need 
hands right now. I mean, if they're, even if they're performative and they're just there to cheer us on, guess what? They're not pushing it back down on us, and that's progress. Yep. Yeah, that, that brings me to like one of the other points I wanted to ask you about was just how do we make sure we're not talking in our own bubble or echo chamber, right? Because one of the things that you mentioned is that like kind of the idea of the corporate ceiling for Asians, right? Like, and the, the, the funny thing is I noticed is that like a couple of, what was it, two weeks ago when the Oscars nominations came out, the Hollywood Reporter had a headline saying that the Asians have finally broke through the bamboo ceiling. Yes, yes. And then all these people on Twitter got mad because they were like, how dare you call it the bamboo ceiling? Yeah. And then, and then like, I think as Asians, I think we've grown up with that. <laughs> and, it, and it was, if I recall, an Asian American creator, and she's a writer. She was a she writer, yeah, the Asian American yeah. writer. Like, and she even, she, and so that's the yeah. thing, like, sometimes I, I'm thinking of this, like, you know, in, 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 in talking about these perspectives, like, how do we, how do I make sure that I'm not talking in a bubble that we are making sure that we are, you know, talking uh, to everyone. Yeah. Right? I, I'll say the answer or, is uh, not attracting people. an audience. That's, you know, everyone. Yeah. I, I think, I think, you know, what it is, let's say get off social media though. I think it's useful is. <laughs> you are not going to be harmed waiting five minutes to say something. Right. And by the way, there's a difference between saying stop Asian hate and Black Lives Matter, which to me are absolutely inarguable positions. And I, that is just where I am. So I'm intractable. And I know some people say, well, Black Lives Matter is a political movement. I, look, I'm just not going to have a conversation. Right. So <laughs> don't, don't have it with me. Right. But it's, I will say, I think we have to take a few minutes and ask ourselves, do we have the information that we need to render a judgment? And secondly, why do we need to render a judgment? Mm -hmm. and, and I think like that is, that's, uh, those are the questions we have to ask ourselves because we don't know as much as we think we do. We may know more, but we also may not have the words we need to, to articulate it. And it is, what I'll do is I'll Google hashtags. Like when I see a trend, if mm -hmm. I don't understand it, I'll, I'll text one of my friends and be like, what is happening here? Right. Can you keep pointing some articles? Like there's, and, and I think that's, that is the important thing, which is we have to ask like what's going on before we internet mob things and people. I'm not, I like, this is not me complaining about cancel culture. I don't think cancel culture exists because Louis CK has a career again. So it doesn't really work anyway, even if we wanted it to. My question is like, are we speaking with nuance? Are we speaking precisely? And there's a thing for me. So I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a big person. I'm a big advocate for normalizing, talking about various health issues. So I've had a really bad sleep apnea for 25 years. I haven't slept yeah. a proper night's sleep in 25 years. I, Jason, I got up at 1.30 this morning. I haven't gone back to sleep. I, I, I wake up anywhere between 20 to 40 times now. Scientifically oh, wow. proven sleep test. I've had, you know, it's, it's just what it is. And I, and it's, there's a whole lot that comes with it. But what it is, is I get to be up all the time. And what I've learned is when I'm really tired, there is a way that like voices echo in my head. And when I get angry and fixated on something. And what I've had to learn to do is when I hear the voices in my head, the way everyone has different indicators. You might get sweaty. You might just get agitated. You might talk differently. When you realize you are being arrogant, I don't want to say emotional because that becomes coded, especially against women. There's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with being emotional. There ain't nothing wrong with it. But when you, when you feel yourself being overcome by emotion, 
and perhaps yeah. the emotion is is disproportionate to the intellectual part of your action behavior decision-making process. I have learned to take a step back and say, okay, my head is spinning. I can hear the voice. I can hear the like noises echoing. Let me just like, let me just take a breath. And uh, you're gonna sound dumb. You would actually help me sometimes to like go eat a spoon of peanut butter and it calms mm-hmm. me down or it's a piece of chocolate. And like, yeah. I'll get up and come back to the computer. And you can do that. And that's a great part of this work from home, right? You don't, no one, no one's looking at you funny for putting a spoon in a jar of peanut butter at your desk. And I'll just like sit up and we have cats. So I'll play with the cat for a second, come back and be like, you know what? This wasn't so bad. I think all my email has to say, my email, like think of this, my email can say, as, as I previously said to you in this email, you know, or it can just be like, hey, here's what we're doing. Here's a document for reference. Happy to talk through it, you know, if you have questions. And what did I just do? I just moved the conversation forward. Yep. Now I can move by tearing the person down, but what did I achieve? And I think when we have these conversations online and, and about race, identity we need to just educate ourselves and say instead of being wow this person's awful like take a step back and say what who what where what how why and do i have information and is it possible i'm misunderstanding this in some way and it may be possible or very unlikely and then by the time you've done that you can say what am i adding to the discourse whether it be interpersonal or whatever like, what am i adding Mm-hmm. And I just think, I think the other part of it is, is Jason, having a diverse group of friends. So I yep. talk to, I have text chains with Asian American friends, with white friends, and they're mixed. And it's like, it'll be really interesting just talking about a subject as anodyne as Taylor Swift and getting like feedback. And, yep. and like I was talking, I was talking, I had a, it was an Asian American friend and a, and a white friend, white American friend. We were talking about Taylor Swift and how she's now more politically conscious and vocal. And, so, and one of the people on the, cha- on the chain was saying, yeah, there goes Taylor. You know, she's got she's got to find make find a way to make money off us somehow. And I said, I said, look, or she wasn't a great ally in the past. She's being one now, and at least she's saying the words. And we should hold her to account. I just can't get mad at her for saying the words because she wasn't saying the words. I'd be mad at her for not saying it. Like I'm moving the goalposts on her. And yeah. I think that's I think that is uh, really critical. Is that we have this variety of people we talk to in our lives with different identities, so that and, and celebrities or whatever. If you don't have non-binary friends, cool. Like you may not realize you do. You do, but <laughs> find some non-binary celebrities right. or trans celebrities. I know those are different things, but like find some to like Elliot Page. Follow Elliot. Follow him yeah. and, and learn a bit more about the trans experience and trans life and the issues that matter to trans people. Follow. Someone non-binary, I'm gonna I'm gonna shout out some of their name is Danny Lore. They're a comics writer, they're amazing. Find out what it means to be a POC, you know, non-binary comics writer and what their lives are like and what matters to them. Like follow follow some of these people and let their social media feeds educate you without yeah. make like you're not going to them and saying to someone like, hey, explain to me how this works, because that's putting a burden on them. Yep. But you're 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 making sure that you're consuming their voices and opinions and then keep diversifying. And if they're not, you can't get these people on your day-to-day real Zoom life on social media. Use social media for that. Yep, and, exactly. And, you know, like, that's the only way, I think it's the only way we have to educate ourselves. Sorry, you're, you're getting super long answers from me on everything. <laughs> no, it's all really, I think, helpful because it's specific. There is 
both your perspective, but also something that people can take away. One last question is, do you have any either, it could be current or old, any film, TV, podcast, comic suggestions or recommendations? Yes. So my birthday, last year, it's October 10th, which is traditionally around Canadian Thanksgiving. Sean and I went out, we went out, had to do a return at a store and then had to go grocery shopping. I was racially profiled at the store, the Under Armour store uh, here in uh, LA. And it, um, we'll be going back there. It was very clear. And then my wife at a Ralph's was the grocery store, if you're not in LA, was followed around by security guard in a way that was uh, inappropriate. And when we came home and I said, fuck this birthday, it sucks. I was like, oh, Michelle, there's a show you and I should watch together. The first five minutes is so, so therapeutic. It's worried that the Cinemax show is now on HBO Max. Yeah. If you haven't watched it, yep. two seasons. Yep. I want to warn everyone, there's an episode in the second season, the same as episode nine, that will make you sick to your stomach with Asian violence. I know you know what I'm talking about, but you have to watch it because it's the honesty of the show. But in the first five minutes of the first episode, there is one of those cool moments where the kid, where um, our Andrew Koji gets to be the badass Asian guy. Oh, yeah. makes me so happy! And he basically it's it's he gets he gets to kick racism in the face, and it's amazing. Yep. And yep. and it's and you know what I mean. And we watched that show, we devoured the season, and it's the exact show we needed. And I love that show. I uh, so I want to recommend that for podcasts. I want to recommend. What do I want to recommend? The Steve Dangle Podcast. If you're a hockey fan, it is a great <laughs> Canadian podcast by three awesome folks. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I have something Canadian there. I was debating, debating. And then if it is if it is comic books you are looking for, oh man, I would say there is no deficit of amazing comics, but there is there are a lot of really good comics at Skybound. So I'm going to recommend Skybound Comics. Uh, an image. There's a comic called Infidel from Image that is a okay. racial horror that is really cool. And the author has a new book coming out called The Good Asian, which is a uh, mm. noir, Norse thing from Image Comics, who is our publishing partner. From Skybound, I recommend you track down a comic called Excellence. Essentially, it's Black Harry Potter with a social voice. And I will tell you that at, at oh. issue seven, Donald Trump shows up as a leader, as uh, a member of an evil white cabal. So it does right. not lack controversy, but wow. it's it's... Harry, it's Harry Potter with, with by Kendrick through vibes of Kendrick Lamar, and it's just it's oh, such a that. great comic. And those are those are ones that ch- I tell you to, to to check out. And books, there is a book that I cannot. Uh, I think it's called Nothing General About It. It's written by Maurice Bernard, who's one of the main actors in General Hospital. He talks a lot about his own bipolar disorder, mental health, and uh, his career in daytime soaps. I think daytime soaps have all been on the, they've not been on the edge of Asian American representation. They deal with a lot of issues for other media. And I'm a, I'm a real big general hospital fan. Wow. I got for you. I love that. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. I want to acknowledge you for all this wisdom, all this cool stories and what you're doing. I'm so excited that you're at Skybound and I can't wait for us to be able to meet in person again. Yes, yes. <laughs> Definitely some dinners to have. You and I are going to choose, I think, by the spirit of this, let's choose a good minority-owned restaurant next time we have let's dinner. Let's do it. Let's have some dinner, have a drink, have a good time, get, a, get some friends together and enjoy. Definitely. And that wraps episode seven. Thanks for tuning in. Really appreciate that you are listening to the podcast again. It really helps if you can rate and review 
the podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to this podcast. Please follow The Lensider on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and let me know your thoughts. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much.